Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. My name is Kate Hudson-Hall and these are real stories from people who are suffering or have suffered an eating disorder. And it's a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia the victories and the challenges. And episodes will include their personal stories of where they are now, their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovering from their eating disorder. Now, our guest today is Heather. And Heather Katz, a health coach, personal trainer and yoga instructor. And she specializes in helping busy mums, women, and families to find their ways to fit in fitness, healthy eating, and more balanced living in simple, doable ways. Heather can relate to her clients on many different levels, as she has been fully recovered from anorexia and bulimia for over 20 years She can relate to and share with her clients the knowledge and insight she gained from the years spent uncovering the reasons behind her eating disorder and related anxiety and using a variety of conventional and holistic methods to overcome them. So welcome, Heather. It's fabulous to have you here. Thank you, Kate. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for joining us. That was a beautiful introduction. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Great. Let's start off with, can you think of a a funny experience that you've had in the past? Yes, I have a funny story. And the one piece about my bio that you didn't include is that I'm a mom of three. And I think many of us are moms. But the story that came to mind was one about motherhood. And our oldest is now 17, but when he was a year and a half, he wasn't just walking and he wasn't just running, he was jumping. So he climbed up onto his little stool, had his name on it. You know, I thought it was so cute. It was a puzzle. He could have cared less about that. He got up on that stool and started jumping off over and over and over again. And that was innocuous enough because he was on the carpeted floor. I didn't worry about him. Well, fast forward to about a year and a half later when he was in preschool age three, He climbs up to the seventh step, puts his beanbag chair at the bottom of the steps and says, mom, I'm going to jump. And before I could say no, (laughs) off he went flying from that seventh step onto his beanbag chair. And I just watched it happen. He landed perfectly. He was fine. There was no problem. But it's that motherhood moment where you're like, oh, what is going to happen to my child? Yeah. And it was, this was how it was with him. He was a jumper. Ironically, he's a track star and he, he, he runs 
uh, sprints as well as does the long jump and the triple jump. So that has come in handy, all that practice. It started those many years ago. <laughs> but I, I couldn't stop him from jumping from the seventh step. And I said, well, next time, how about the fourth step? And he said, no, mom, I got this. You know, it was kind of this, this little kid <laughs> reaction, like, no, I can do it. And the reason that story is funny is because I really remember that moment of my heart just sinking, like, oh boy, what's going to happen? But also the letting go that I had to just let go, exhale, and just watch and hope that things would work out. And I think that that's a process that not only is so important as a mother, but is also a process that helped me in my recovery and just, you know, in life in general, just really having that ability to say, okay, this is a time I need to trust and I just need to take a deep breath and let go. I love that. And how did that help you in your, in your recovery journey? How did you do it in your recovery journey? Well, I think that that depends on at what point in the recovery journey I was at. Right. Because, you know, early on at age 15, when, you know, I had the, the, the backstory of the eating disorder is that, you know, I was, we were an outdoorsy family. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon in the United States. And, you know, we always were hiking, biking, skiing, a very active family. So it was very natural for me to be in shape. And, and I never was at all concerned about food and eating. Now I did have a parent, you know, father and mother, both in the health professionals. So a cardiologist and a nurse. So there were, there were conversations, it was the eighties. And so there were conversations around low fat and, you know, less red meat and all those good things that the eighties brought us. But, um, when I was 15, I had the privilege of going back to Europe. We actually lived in Germany when I was 12, going on 13 for a year. My dad was on sabbatical, had a best friend there. She invited me to come to Germany, spend some time with her. And then we went to Spain for three weeks. Cause that's what they do in Europe. Everybody goes on the three week holiday. So off we went and you know, glorious, fantastic trip, but the food and I was 15 and the wine, because, you know, it is Europe was everywhere. It was abundant. So yes, we were swimming every day and running and we even were learning to windsurf, but I came back from that trip, you know, tanned and happy, but I was looking down at my little belly that was also full from all of the fantastic Spanish pizza and paella. And, and, you know, like I said, the sangria that we drank, all of those things that were a part of just that, that beautiful trip. And, and I thought to myself, no, nah, I can't really zip up that skirt that I want to wear to my cousin's wedding next week. Probably should work on losing a few pounds. You know, I was really, really innocent. Like literally thought to myself, I'm just going to try to lose a few pounds. And, but before that you hadn't had a, you hadn't thought about it. You hadn't thought about, you know, your body image or weight or. I think that's interesting because I, to say that I didn't think about it, that's, that's really hard as a woman to not think about it. I had an older sister who's three, three years older than I. So, you know, we, we always wanted to, you know, look our best and wear the type of clothes that we liked, but I hadn't really thought about it as, you know, something to be, you know, obsessed about. This was mm. I mean, this, in middle school, Madonna was very popular. I never, you know, I, I looked at her as a beautiful woman and I didn't, you know, never felt like I needed to be any different than I was. So yeah. no, I hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, that, that letting go and, and embracing the process, that didn't happen, of course, for many years down the road, 
because, you know, I, I, again, when I started with eating disorder, it was fairly innocent and it was just, you know, a way to, to lose a few pounds. So it was, so, but that kind of, that was kind of significant after that trip, you remember consciously thinking, oh, this is a bit tight for me. And I, let me uh, see what I can do to be able to start to shed those pounds. Exactly. And then, so what happened after that? Well, so because of my upbringing with the doctor and the nurse's parents, you know, wonderful parents teaching us, you know, we had a, a gigantic organic garden that my mother cultivated with our help. And, you know, so we had fruits and veggies everywhere. So I knew how to eat well and I knew how to eat healthy. And so to me, I was, I said, well, if the fruits and the veggies are really the good way to go, then I should just eat more of those and less of the other things. So that was kind of my, my deduction of how to approach it. And so that was, that's what I did. So I started to eat more of the fruits and veggies, replacing other things with them. And then as, as you well know, uh, when it comes to eating disorders, then it becomes the the items that go on the list that are okay and the items that go on the list that are not okay. And it just kind of progressed from there it was, you know, my list got smaller of, you know, the things that were acceptable in my eyes and the things that, that would allow me to, you know, lose those pounds. Yeah. And how long did that pattern go on for? Um, I think it really went on for probably about Oh, off and on for a number of years. But the the other piece of the puzzle is that I was an athlete. So I played soccer for many years, was on the soccer team. And so that was my sophomore year in high school when I was 15 going on 16. And you know, so I was, again, very active. So I had to fuel myself to be active. Yeah. And then when I went into my junior year in high school, I was recruited onto the cross country and track teams because... I, we had a big high school and I, I would have sat on the bench a lot on the soccer team. We had girls who were faster and stronger and better than I was. And I knew that. So I took the chance and I, I, I decided to run cross country and then in the spring track. And so there was kind of this dichotomy of, you know, I wanting to, you know, keep my weight where it was at or wanting to control what I was eating, but yet also compete as an athlete and fuel myself so that I could be successful. So it was, I, I, you know, I got to balance these two things. And it was, you know, keeping that, that balance in, in the best place possible so that I could be yeah. that athlete. And I could also, and, and you know, I say less be thin because it was less about the thin for me, it was more about the control and the, and the, um, you know, the, the quantities and the items that were, that right. were items that I would eat. So that was more of, that was more of the focus. It was more of the focus. And you know, at that time, you know, if I, if I knew what I know now and knew what I found out in my mid thirties at the time, we had no idea that I had obsessive compulsive disorder that I have OCD. So it's very interesting if you think about it. So I self-diagnosed myself about 19 years later in my mid thirties with OCD I spent many years seeing counselor, psychologist, and, and, and all these years with some talk therapy, talking about some of the things that were blatant OCD-related um, moments, uh, patterns in my life. 
and nobody diagnosed it. So it is what it is. But I think that if we had known that when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, yeah. it would have made a world of difference because we could have brought in some of those therapies yeah. and it would have gotten to the root of the eating disorder more quickly, but we didn't know that. So, you know, we, yeah. we did the best we could. Yeah. So I was really, I was, it was less for me about looking a certain way. Maybe it was about feeling a certain way because there's a certain way that you feel when you have control over that element yes. of your life. But yes. for me, it was more the numbers and the items and the quantities and the fact that, you know, when I got on the track or when I got on the cross country course, those numbers were where I wanted them to be too. Cause I was a very successful athlete. So amazing. That helped. Yeah. So it's that kind of fine line of making sure that you eat just enough, but not, not overeating, not, not eating more than you should, I suppose. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that went on for a number of years. It did. It did. Um, you know, I think early on, I didn't have a sense that there was a problem other than I knew that I ate a little differently, but I also knew that I ate. Um, I think that I just was so caught up in, caught up in my mind. I mean, I think that, you know, the OCD was probably really controlling a lot of what I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, you know, in addition to being an extremely successful competitive runner in our high school sphere and in our city, uh, you know, I was also a very successful student, high achieving, you know, kind of that typical profile of those of us who are, you know, perfectionism. Yeah. Perfectionism. Exactly. So yeah, I have a friend, <laughs> I have a friend I'm still friends with, but when we were in, in sixth grade, she joked with me, she said, she said, Oh, you're perfect, Heather. And it was a joke. It was, it became a running joke, but um, it was kind of, you know, and I thought about that as the years went on, I thought, well, I don't try to be perfect, but yet, I do try to be perfect. So it's, yeah. it's always trying to, you know, that push pull and trying to balance that. And we, I say we, I mean, my parents of course were concerned because, you know, they saw me shrink in size and, and wanted me to be healthy. They worried about bone health and all the things that parents would worry about, of course. So they brought me into, you know, see various therapists and, you know, try to address the problem. And of course, when you're forced into it, it's, it's not as positive of, of a situation as, you know, if you choose it on your own. Mm. And, you know, I think that that was also a challenge too, because, you know, I thought it was fine. I thought I'd be okay. And, you know, I was a little bit resistant to that as any teenager would probably be in some way, shape or yeah. form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did you actually decide that you, you know, yourself that you wanted to reach out for help and decided this was the time? Right. Well, I, I did know that in high school, it was important for me to see someone. I didn't really, you know, connect and make a whole lot of progress at that point um, until college. So finished high school, went to, you know, probably my dream college and also was continuing to run and compete there. But when you are in a new environment um, completely, I, and I say completely on your own, of course, you have your roommates and your friends. And my sister was a senior at the same college and we happened to be in Colorado. So, um, there was, you know, there, there's so many things pulling you in so many different directions. And then you have the dining hall. So you have to navigate all of that as somebody who, you know, has, um, you know, not the healthiest relationship with food. I think that I just tried to figure it out for a little while. I just tried, you know, I tried to use the tools that I'd gained, 
you know, on my own and, you know, from the, the counselors that I saw and I tried to do it on my own and it just, yeah, I, I kind of fumbled along for a couple of years mm-hmm. and, you know, it was up and down in terms of my recovery, you know, gaining weight, getting healthier, and then spiraling into, you know, things not being quite as good. So yeah. there was, at, at one point I was home visiting my parents. We went to the Oregon coast, beautiful spot. We were at um, a friend's beach house and then there were books on the shelf and I pulled a book off the shelf and started reading it. And incidentally, the girl in that book, the character in that book had bulimia. And it, you know, I, I found the story fascinating. I read it, but it was that book that gave me the idea about bulimia. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if the anorexia isn't working for me anymore, because, you know, you get hungry again, when you get tired of not feeding yourself for so many years. Yeah. I, I was like, huh, I wonder how bulimia works. Uh-huh. You know, again, these like adolescent minds, this yeah. is how it is. I thought to myself, I wonder how that works. And so when I was faced with the dining hall eating and, you know, social settings and, you know, I was in a sorority house and we, you know, we had lots of great snacks there. I tried bulimia. So I kind of fell into it a little bit. Like I fell into the anorexia as, you know, an, an experiment, uh, you know, something I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to try for better or worse. And so, you know, it was in college that the bulimia came really into play and for better or worse, Bulimia is, I, you know, I, I think I wish that I had stayed in anorexic because bulimia is is just a whole different, like I said, it's, it's, it's a whole different spiral. And, you know, the ups and downs that your body goes through biochemically and all of those things are just tough to navigate. But a uh, couple of years of that, along came a wonderful guy who I dated for the last years of college. And I think that you know, I kind of faded in and out of anorexia, bulimia in those years, but then here came someone who saw me and just absolutely, absolutely adored me for who I was and for how I looked and for how I behaved and what I believed, like he loved everything about me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I had had that unconditional love that wasn't a parent's love or a sibling's love uh, ever. And so I think that it was through him that I was starting to be able to see, you know, start to see the other side. Yeah. And I had sought out counseling on my own. And so I was seeing a counselor, still not quite putting all the pieces together, but I think that that was kind of the start, you know, that we take a little stair step up and that was the start of me saying, all right, now I have something else that's going to, you know, kind of bolster me up and get me that, you know, get me to that healthy. Yeah. The full recovery, however, you know, not to end the story with that fantastic knight in shining armor coming along and, and teaching me to love myself more. The, the, the end of the story, the end of the recovery really took a number of years after that. Um, I became, uh, after college, didn't end up staying with this, this young man. You know, he's still a friend of mine and a wonderful person and you know, valued those times we had together. But I became, uh, last last couple months of college, I became a competitive triathlete. A friend invited me out to, to California, so let's go do a triathlon. I loved it. I caught the bug. And again, I went back into another you know, athletic endeavor that really needed to be fueled. And I yeah. really needed to be healthy. And I really needed to watch my, you know, my intake and balance it so I could be successful. And so that, you know, the, the, the athleticism kind of always comes in as a, as a, a helpful thing, something that helped me to not, you know, get less healthy. So I, I became a triathlete, did that for a number of years. 
and you kind of slowly started to take more steps out of, you know, the, I don't know, I hate to call it like the, the, the hole, but you know, you're deep in, in your eating disorder. And I started to climb out in these various ways, but it wasn't until I met my husband, went to grad school, fell back into the eating disorder. And then I realized that I was just tired of it. I was done. I was tired of it. It had been over 10 years. And though I had, you know, seen some recovery and seen the care that, that, you know, that I'd received from psychologists and counselors help in some ways, it really took until I was in my late twenties. And yeah, I just, I flipped a switch and I said, this is it. I'm done. This time it's for real. I don't care what it takes. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for my husband and I'm doing it because we want to have kids too. And I knew that I needed to be healthy for that. And that to me was like the ultimate pinnacle of what was next for me. So right. that was it. Gosh. So you remember that, that uh, switch flipping? I do very, very distinctly. You know, it was just in my mind. I was like, all right, this is it. I said, I think that I was often looking for the perfect counselor, the perfect help. Yeah. You know, we often look for perfection. And I said, my counselor is good enough. <laughs> We're going to make, you know, I'm going to use her tools. And that, that's a really good point, isn't it? You know, mm. when you're, when you're looking for a therapist, obviously you've got to feel very comfortable with them, but you know, with our trait of often trying to find that perfect person, you know, there's never going to be the ultimate perfect therapist or perfect whatever really you're trying to do I don't know um and so I think that's a really that's that's really quite poignant isn't it for people to to take away to if you feel comfortable with them let's open the door a bit and see how we feel from there right yeah she knew she definitely knew what she was doing and we had made a ton of inroads um it was, you know, nothing, like I said, was perfect, but, you know, she knew, she knew what to do. She specialized in eating disorders. And I just had to kind of like I did with my son, when he jumped off the seventh step, I had to suspend any concern, disbelief, frustration, worry, and just say, okay, she knows what she's doing. She's telling me to do A, I'm going to go do A. And then she's going to tell me to do B and C and D, and I'm going to do it. So, you know, I, I letting go mm-hmm. of that tight, that tight rein. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She suggested a nutritionist and, you know, was reluctant to do that because, you know, they want to see the numbers and you get on the scale with them. And, but at the same time, it was kind of nurturing going back to, you know, my, my childhood and my, you know, my mother and father teaching me how to, you know, eat well and be healthy she was doing that too and just in a different way and so i you know i i absorbed that and 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 really listened to everything that she said and had to relearn how to eat had to look at food differently and so it was you know a very a very good process to go through yeah that was you know one of many tools but and i think that's such a huge tool and it's such a revelation to have that teaching you know when you've been through anorexia anorexia and bulimia and to be guided to, you know, what would be healthy for you to eat and how you're going to do that is such a revelation. 
I remember for me, it was just like, I don't think I can eat all, all of this that you're telling me to eat, but that's <laughs> fine. I'll, you know, I'll do my best to begin with. But it was just, it was unbelievable. It was like, oh, is this how you do it? It was as if I, I'd never seen that before. <laughs> well, I had no idea. I didn't right. remember how to do it. Oh, it's true because we remake the rules. We we change yeah. we change the story in our mind. Yeah. For you, with regards to the anorexia and the bulimia, what do you think, Heather, was the hardest part of having the eating disorder? I think early on, the hardest part was the fact that I knew that so many people were worried about me and wanted everything to change, but I knew that I didn't have the power to change it all at once. Like I was, I don't know if I just wasn't ready or I just didn't have the power to do it, but you know, that felt a little bit helpless, but I also felt a little bit of that independence in it. Like, well, you're trying to get me to do this, but I'm 17, I'm 18. I can do what I want. You know, I've got this, that type of attitude too. Mm. What and would the other thing that was harder as things progressed, especially into the bulimia is, I mean, there's, there's shame involved in it. That's, that's not an easy thing to hide from absolutely everyone. So I think that it's, it was hard to, you know, be this college student, but yet kind of have this secret behind the door that some people knew about and some people didn't. And I, I, that was challenging for me because I didn't want to be, part of me didn't want to be that person, me, that type of person, but part of me didn't know how to be something different yet. So, yeah, um, those were, I think, some of the hardest things for me, especially as a young person who just wants to build their identity and build their social circle and be happy. Or just where do you find the happiness sometimes? Not all the time. I, was, I consider myself a very happy person, but sometimes things weren't always happy. Yeah. And that 17, 18-year-old you that didn't absorb the help that was that you were trying to be guided towards you know with all that you know now what would you say to that what would you say now to somebody in that situation I think the biggest piece of advice is to first of all be patient with yourself and trust yourself that was hard to do I don't think I was quite old enough to really have that full trust of myself Mm. but in the end, obviously finding something bigger than myself was really important for me. So, you know, it, of course it was many years later, but it was, it was the, the, the athletics for me were something bigger than myself that allowed me to never, never dip into that really destructive anorexia where, you know, I was so thin and gaunt, you know, I never was that way because my athleticism and my, my, my races were so important to me. Um, you know, and then I held on to the, the, triathlon as something that I I needed to and wanted to do so badly that I would do my best to be as healthy as I could be for that. And then eventually, of course, motherhood. So really find something bigger than yourself to latch onto that might guide you towards finding that health, but also be patient with yourself and know that, you know, there's going to be change and change isn't always easy. I mean, I, I looked down at my belly and I thought it was too big. What probably have that belly right now. And that's probably what my body was meant to have. So, you know, embrace change in yourself and see it as the good that it is. You know, I wish I could have, I didn't at that time. I wish I could have embraced that change, but you know, here we are. Hindsight's 2020. 
yeah. It's been 20 years now since that time. And what does, the word recovery is different for everybody. And I just wonder what it, what it means to you being in recovery and what it feels like. Well, I consider myself recovered. Yeah, definitely. As in, you know, I, I don't deal with the eating disorder on a daily basis. A question often is, can you really reach that recovered stage? Can you really get over an eating disorder? Right. Well, I, I think that in my situation, I mean, I definitely recovered and, you know, I was healthy. We, yeah, we have three children, but the relationship with yourself and your body and with food and with stress. And in my case with anxiety, it's so interconnected. And I think that what the eating disorder did for me is it allowed me to, you know, you can kind of close the curtains on some things in life, you can close the curtains on your emotions. You can close the curtains on how you might be feeling about yourself. You can close the curtains on how you might be feeling about your friendships and your, your, your love life or whatever it is. So you can close the curtains and, control what goes into your body. And that's what I did for so, so many years. And so then when I started to open the curtains up a little bit, and maybe I just opened the shade a little bit, and then I pulled back the curtains and then I really just threw them all open and exposed the window. So for me, it was each of those little steps. I needed to find out after the recovery in my late twenties, after becoming a mom in my thirties to mid thirties, and then again later, but that's, you know, that's a different story. Uh, when I was 34 and had a, a four-year-old and a five-month-old and I discovered I had OCD, I literally read, I mean, I guess I read a lot and learn things that way, but literally a friend sent me, you know, it was a brain, it was called Brainchild. It was an, an, a publication and it was, she shared it because we're moms and she wanted to share it with me. And it had an article about a mom who had OCD. And I said, oh my gosh, that's me. I had no idea why I did the things that I did. So that to me was the final piece that needed to be uncovered so I could throw open and look out the window and say, all right, here I am in all my glory. What do I do now? And I really had to, I had to then go back into counseling and, and specifically have the cognitive behavior therapy that I probably should have started way back in my teens that would have helped mm-hmm. me to overcome the eating disorder sooner. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just, it's peeling back these layers and really finding what's underneath it all. Because I am not a psychologist such as you, but I do know just from my experiences and from you know, watching people go through their lives, there's always a backstory. There's always something underneath there. There's always something deeper and it's not always fun to uncover it and find it, but, you know, thank goodness that I did because I finally was able to feel emotions again. I finally was able to really truly authentically become who I probably was meant to be that I thought I was, and I probably was in snippets here and there, but I finally was able to be who I was meant to be. And we're talking that took how many years to get there? But, you know, no regrets. We just, you know, we have to look at the positives that came out of it. Yeah. And and the learnings from it. It is. Yeah, it is. So I think that that to me is, um, is really part of the process and a very necessary part of the process is peeling back those layers. Yeah. 
Yeah. And opening those curtains. I love that metaphor. Mm. Just, yes, twitching the curtains. Yeah. And seeing what's out there. Mm. Absolutely. So, Heather, so tell us about now. So where you are now, what you're doing 20 years down the line. Amazing. You don't think about... (laughs) You don't, so, oh, yeah. so you don't think about your eating disorder at all now? Well, I, to say I don't think about it is would be incorrect in that I work in the fitness industry. So, and I'm a petite person. So I think that, you know, we think about these things just because I'm working with people and talking about eating and exercise on a regular basis. So it's okay. not that I don't think about it, but does it affect my daily life? No, I can go through my life and, you know, function in my kind of normal. Now, does that mean that my kind of normal is just like, say my sister's kind of normal, my sister who didn't have an eating disorder? Probably not. I probably have, you know, some approaches and some things that I do, but I think what I learned over time is that that's okay because we need to, we need to find what works for us and, you know, what our right approach is. And I I think that you know, I'm, I do consider myself fully recovered, but I don't deal with my eating disorder on a daily basis. But that being said, I do know, I do know what works for me. And I, you know, I stay within those parameters and yeah. I do know what I like <laughs> and I'm yeah. in tune with all of that. And I think that, you know, where I am now in terms of the eating disorder, in terms of being a mom and in terms of being a you know professional right now is that because I was able to pull back all those curtains I'm a better mom. I can be a better friend. I can be a better coach or trainer to my clients. I can be a better, you know, wife and daughter and sister to my family because I'm more authentically me. And I think that what I see in my life now is that my passion is of course my children. I want them to be healthy, happy, successful, and all of the above and never walk the road that I walked and, you know, in any way, shape or form, if that's at all possible, but my other passion is helping and guiding others in their health journey and whatever that may be. I'm fortunate enough to be able to work primarily right now as a personal trainer. That seems to be where people are most interested in you know, seeking my services. But what's nice about being a personal trainer is then you can have those conversations about stress. You can have those conversations about sleep. You can have those conversations about diet and healthy eating because you can't come into the gym and work out or go out and you know, run on the track without, again, fueling yourself well and fueling yourself in, you know, I think these days it comes down to less the, you know, the, the, the healthy versus not healthy. It's a lot of, you know, convenience foods versus non-convenience foods and things like that. So really it's Mm -hmm. my passion right now to help as many people as I can. And I do work primarily with moms and women. We, I work at a YMCA and it's a boys and girls club. So I work with kids too. I've trained a number of teenagers and that's so fulfilling to help them. But you know, my goal is really to just help and reach and support and guide as many people as I can to find their version of healthy, be it the eating, be it the fitness, be it just finding that balance in their life. Yeah. That's, that's where it's at for me. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Amazing. Finally, what would you, what would you like to say to people that are in the the depths of their eating disorder? I would first of all say, you've got this. 
we've got you, we're here for you. I mean, there's, if you look mm -hmm. for it, you're going to find a community that can support you. And, you know, Kate, your, your podcast is, is amazing to, to hear these stories and talk about something that, you know, honestly, I've never talked about in a public sphere like this. I realize it's not going to be on CNN or anything, but I've never done this. And I have a friend who actually encouraged me. She said, you have such a story and you should share it because what if you could help someone along the way? Yeah. So I would just encourage anyone who is in, in the depths, in the throes, in the middle, wherever you are, use, use us as resources and use others like us as resources and let us help you, let us guide you, or let us just listen and, you know, maybe provide a little bit of light and insight into helping you. Mm. And I think that it's okay to get the help that you need too. I kind of had to come to terms with that. So, you know, get the help that you need, seek out whatever it is that suits you. And everybody's a little bit different. I also, we talked about this earlier, but I think it's really important to trust the process. It's hard to do that when you're in recovery, but really trust yourself and trust that process because it really does work. Be it, you know, working with a counselor or a nutritionist or learning to eat again, whatever it is, it's, you have to kind of suspend your current operating system and beliefs and just embrace what you're being taught so that you can become a better version of yourself and become maybe who you're truly meant to be and just, you know, kind of let go into that process. And then the, um, I think the next thing that I would say is that it's great to be able to also think outside the box in terms of ways to support yourself in your healing journey. So I've seen counselors and psychologists and therapists, and I've, I've tried medication and, you know, the cognitive behavior therapy was immensely powerful for the anxiety disorder, the OCD, but I also had to be true to myself. And I ironically raised by a doctor and a nurse, I don't love conventional medicine. I didn't love the way the antidepressants made me feel. And so I sought things that worked for me. And, you know, I tend to use nutritional therapies or herbal therapies. I love essential oils. I have taken courses in energy medicine. I'm learning Reiki, you know, things to support us that are beyond what might be the box that's put in front of you, right? Go see a counselor, go see a nutritionist. There's, there's other ways to meet your needs and support yourself because you're not a box. You're a person and you are multifaceted. And it may be that, yes, those things are necessary and part of your journey, but there are so many other wonderful resources out there that you can use to support you in your recovery. And, you know, you find what works for you. You know, maybe it's yoga, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's a combination of every single one of these things. But I think that that approach can be extremely powerful. I think that's a really good, a really good point because, you know, we're not all the same and it's experimenting. It's opening your eyes to what else is available out there and what, and, and, and trying it out and seeing if it does Absolutely. work for you. It's true. It's yeah. true. And it's, I, I think that, you know, there, there's power in being able to also self-heal some because, you know, the, at a point in my life, I, I said, I don't know that I can keep going to the, a psychologist every week or every other week. You know, I need to, I need to kind of take back the reins and start using what I was taught. So thank mm -hmm. goodness I had a fantastic psychologist who taught me all the tools that I needed, 
And I was able to take that and use that and then add in, a, you know, what else I needed that I found that was supportive to me. Yeah. And what, what did you, what other therapies or at that time did you experiment with? Did you try with? At the beginning, it was primarily working with an alternative doctor using homeopathy and oh, yeah. nutritional therapy. She also is a kinesiologist. So she uses kinesiology and muscle testing and magnetic therapy, a little bit like doing acupuncture with magnets and you know, it realigns your body. I mean, I won't go too deep into it, but it realigns the meridians and helps your body to heal itself. So a lot of it started there. Yeah. And then, you know, I've since dabbled in homeopathy for many years and learned about that. I love essential oils and, you know, use them in many ways, you know, just, just for basic immune health, but also for, you know, supporting, you know, there's, I have a favorite one that I, that I used right before I got on the podcast, just to kind of calm and center me and help me to focus. And then I, I, I had an injury um, to my leg. It was, you know, an accident with dogs, actually one of those lovely little things, but I, you know, it was traumatic afterwards what happened. And I, I sought out the care of an acupuncturist, which I had used acupuncture before, but I only used acupuncture to help me um, get ready to have children. This was acupuncture that addressed kind of the underlying trauma, if you'll have, you know, if you will. And boy, was that powerful. So acupuncture to me was extremely helpful. So I think it's just kind of finding, you know, every step there might be something a little bit different. And from there, I learned energy medicine on my own. So again, I didn't have to go to the acupuncturist every week or every other week. I you know, tried to learn to some of those modalities that you can use on yourself. So, And then I, since I teach yoga, I get to incorporate that into, into my classes and use some of that with my clients where, it, where it's applicable. It's fascinating. There's so many different options out there, you know, for people to, you know, to look into and experiment. Absolutely. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, sharing your journey. It's been really interesting and very insightful for, and I'm sure it will be so helpful for many, so many different people to help them. That it helps as many people that we together with your 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 message and as your message continues forward that people like us and the people you continue to interview can help as many people as we can because life on the other side is glorious. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. It certainly is. And, you know, people can do this. They can do it. They can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. If we can do it, then they can do it. Absolutely. Yep. Have to dust off the cobwebs and stand up tall and take it, take on the challenge that it brings you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to be on the other side. It really is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Heather. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate your time. And it was my pleasure. Thank you. So that's all for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. Um, thank you for listening. And thank you to Heather for sharing your, your heartfelt journey. And so join us again on the next episode of Bulimia Sucks and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. 
Plus, if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book, Bulimia Sucks, on Amazon to learn many different techniques to help you to begin to break through your painful bulimic behaviors. And before we go, uh, let us know what you think and show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you join our Facebook group, Bulimia Sucks, if you haven't already, where it's great to connect with, you know, with other people that have been through an eating disorder or are going through an eating disorder and chat about, you know, your ups and downs, their ups and downs and how we can all help each other. So thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Bulimia Sucks but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon.